You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. have a purpose. We have a purpose. We're to reproduce. We're to go and spread the gospel message so that others will realize this newness and others will be drawn into a new life and others will experience that new life and a metamorphosis will take place in their life and the cycle continues. This is the caterpillar and the butterfly. We too have been called for a purpose. We've been freed for a purpose. We've been called to declare the glory of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful beautiful calling that is. You have a purpose. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, your purpose is to spread the message of his love with others. You are called to share with others the newness of life that you have received through Jesus. You've been transformed to help transform others. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 5 as he begins his message, Freedom with a Purpose. You are We are going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. We are in Acts 5. Today we're going to be studying verses 17 through 21. Verses 17 through 21. Acts 5, verses 17 through 21. I will read aloud. If you would read silently, please. Acts 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, They were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them into a common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And then when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So, tis the season. No, 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 not that season. It's bug season. Have you noticed? The bugs are out. I was outside the other day and I saw my first butterfly. I love to look at butterflies. You know, I could sit and watch for hours. You know how many different kinds of butterflies there are and different shapes and sizes and colors? That are gorgeous. You sit there and you watch them and you go, God, you're so wonderful. Look at this little creature you've made. I love butterflies. I like them. And at night, you turn on your light and the moths come and they're all flying around all over your light. You know, I love it. I love to see these creatures. But you know... Every time you see a butterfly and every time you see a moth, there's an empty cocoon someplace. There's an empty cocoon someplace. It's called metamorphosis. A fascinating process that God had established through his, through his kingdom for making these creatures, these creepy things, these bugs to come alive. Metamorphosis. Have you ever thought about that process? That process? Maybe you have and maybe you haven't. But according to a dictionary... Let me share with you. Metamorphosis is the biological process by which an animal physically develops after birth or hatching, involving a conspicuous and relatively abrupt change in the animal's body structure through cell growth and differentiation. Some insects, some amphibians, mollusks, crustaceans, and others undergo metamorphosis, which is usually accompanied by a change of habitat or a change of behavior. 
Now, I found that to be quite interesting, a change of behavior. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this already, a change of behavior. These animals, after they go through this metamorphosis process, their behavior actually changed. Now, most people associate metamorphosis with the transformation of a caterpillar into the butterfly, which is what I was just giving you an example of. In Eric Carle's children's book, The Hungry Caterpillar, illustrates this in great colorful detail. The process is as follows, he says. The caterpillar starts out its life as an egg. This egg is laid by the parent butterfly. As it hatches, it goes through several stages to become an adult. Then it becomes a caterpillar. As a caterpillar, its job is to eat and eat and eat some more. Boy, I like this guy. Until it bursts out of its skin. I'm not too happy about the bursting part. It may go through several different cycles in its adult life. When it's mature, it stops eating and starts spinning a silken pad called a chrysalis around itself. Then it rests, and during this special period of rest, the dormant sleeping cells now become energized and turn into wings, legs, eyes, and other parts of the adult butterfly. It stays the chrysalis for a long time. Did you know that some varieties stay inside a whole year or longer? When God determines that it's ready, the former caterpillar slowly bursts out of its silken pad and is now a butterfly. No longer has to crawl, it can now fly. The caterpillar no longer exists. In its place is a beautiful butterfly. The butterfly's main purpose in its short life? Reproduce. Continue the species. Yeah, I see smiles on your faces. You probably know where I'm going with this. Like the caterpillar, the Christian has experienced the metamorphosis. We have been changed after our rebirth through Jesus Christ. Our behavior has changed. Our nature has changed. And the Scripture tells us that we've become a new creation. We've become a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, you know the verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old now is gone. We've shed the old cocoon. We've shed the old way of life, and now all things are new. Everything we do now is a newness. We have newness of life. Like the caterpillar, we've been changed. And I love this phrase. Crystal Lewis sang a song called Beauty from Ashes. I love that. I love that, that visual. Beauty came from ashes. Beauty came from death. We were raised from the dead. What was, once was dead, the caterpillar in its cocoon was basically dead. What once was dead in our lives, we were the walking dead. We were dead in our sin, in our trespasses. But now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're made alive. And we are alive just like this butterfly. We're freed just like this butterfly. We escape the confines of the cocoon. We escape and we're freed with a purpose. We too have a purpose. We have a purpose. We're to reproduce. We're to go and spread the gospel message so that others will realize this newness and others will be drawn into a new life and others will experience that new life and a metamorphosis will take place in their life and the cycle continues. Just as the caterpillar and the butterfly, we too have been called for a purpose. We've been freed for a purpose. We've been called to declare the glory of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful, beautiful calling that is. Last week, we studied that through the hands of the apostles, great works were accomplished. We read in Acts 5, verse 12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. The Holy Spirit now was using the apostles to exhibit great power over illnesses, to exhibit great power over diseases and even unclean spirits. We read that all that came to them were healed. Can you imagine that? 
All that came to the apostles were healed. That's what the scripture says. All were healed. It must have been an amazing time. In fact, those people seeking healing who couldn't get close to the, the apostles actually bought people on beds and couches and they laid them down hoping that when Peter walked by and cast a shadow, that his own shadow would fall upon these people and they would be healed. What a point of faith that was. What faith they had that only the shadow would fall on them. All this, you know, was a direct result of the cleansing of the church. All this came because the church was purged by the Holy Spirit. The purging began with the death of Ananias and Sapphira. That's when the purging began. They were killed because of their hypocrisy. They were killed because they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and they were struck down dead. The Lord wanted to purge the church, and when this happened, great fear came upon the church, and this became a good thing. This great fear as they started to examine themselves, as they started to look within their bodies and say, Lord, purge me of my sin. I don't want to be struck down dead. I want to get rid of my sin. I want to give it to you, Lord. I want to come before you and be clean. And the church was purged. It's like a revival, like a, like a true revival. You know, everybody prays for revival. Lord, we want a revival. Lord, we want a revival. Well, you've heard this before. Revival begins in my heart. Revival begins in your heart. When you purge yourself of sin, when you purge yourself of uncleanliness, when you start living the Christian life the way you're supposed to live it, in glory and honor to God, revival starts with you. And then revival becomes contagious. And it spreads. And it spreads throughout as people see that. People grow because of the fear of God. They grow into a deeper commitment with God, a deeper commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. When the fear of the Lord is upon you, we said last week, there's an understanding of evil. When you experience the fear fear of the Lord and you're in His holiness and you're in His gloriness and He shines that light in you and you look around and you go, yuck! You look at yourself as unclean because that light brings out all the darkness in you and it assigns that. And He says, I want to deal with that. Let's deal with that now. Let's take that away now. Revival. Oh, how we pray for revival. How we pray for revival. Alan Redpath, pretty good author of a series of books said, a true and great revival equals this. Bent knees, broken heart, and wet eyes. That's where revival begins. Bent knees, on your face before a most holy God, with a broken heart because you've sinned, and you've gone against His decrees, you've gone against His will. You have a broken heart because you don't want to do that thing, but you do it. And you stand before Him, and you kneel before Him, and your heart is broken. A broken and contrite heart I will not despise, says the Lord. And he looks upon that heart. And when you see your sin for what it really is, tears flow. That's where revival begins. That's where revival begins. Great purging came through the church. Great purging by the Holy Spirit. The Lord used this. And after this great purging came great power, great unity, and great grace continued to flow throughout the apostles' hands. And many were healed. We read about that. But something else came with this purging. Something else came with the revival. Something always follows the revival. Along with great power, along with great unity, along with great grace, a great hatred comes. Persecution. A cost to be paid for getting close to God. Any powerful movement of God will be met by great hatred and jealousy. It will be met by contempt by the religious community. That's what's happening right here in our story today. You know, we talked about Satan, how he attacked the church from inside through Ananias and Sapphira. He thought that hypocrisy would take the church down. 
But God had a better idea. God struck them down. He purged the church of the hypocrisy. So now Satan says, okay, I'll go back to this trick because it worked before, and I'll try the persecution again. And he ramps up the persecution. He takes it up a notch. He starts to heat it up a little bit. He starts to take up the persecution. He reestablishes a foothold in the religious community itself. Isn't it funny? Persecution always seems to come from the religious, those that call themselves religious. That's what's happening here. He fills the religious people with, fills their hearts with jealousy. He fills their heart with contempt. And they want to persecute these guys even more and more. They have a hate that they can't even explain. As we look in today's text in verse 17, we read, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation. Interesting here, I find, that the root word here in the Greek for indignation is D-Z-E-H-O, dzeho. And this means literally to be hot. It means to boil. So these guys were boiling mad. These guys were, had rage. They were so mad at the apostles for what was happening. They had such jealousy towards them that they wanted to throw them in jail. In fact, they did. Notice that the high priest himself was a part of the Sadducees. Remember, we read that in Acts 4, verse 6. Also remember that the Sadducees were the materialists. They were the humanists. They were the ones who didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels, and they didn't believe in resurrections. That's why they were sad, you see. Right, okay. Oh, that's old. I've said it three times. Come on. You guys still laugh every single time. I love it. I love it. They didn't believe in any of those things. They didn't believe in these things. And they were jealous. They were jealous because they saw the apostles. They saw the apostles had all this power. They didn't have this power, and they were jealous. Why were they jealous? Because they were into religions for different reasons. They were into religion for money, for prestige, and for power that they had over the people. The popularity of the disciples were threatening to them. They felt threatened by what this was doing here, and they were boiling mad. The Sadducees were angry because they were getting all the attention. The apostles were getting the attention. They were angry and jealous because of all the power that the apostles received to heal these people. And they couldn't deny the healings were from God. They were angry because the new church was dipping into the coffers of the temple and they were losing money. Remember? The new church was selling all their possessions and they were giving to everyone as had need. They were doing their own thing. And the coffers in the temple weren't as full as they used to be, which means the pockets of the Pharisees were not as bulgy as they used to be. They were having to survive on less than usual. And they didn't like that. They were angry. The new church was supporting itself. The Sadducees were losing control over the people because the people were being set free from the bondage that they'd been placed under, the bondage of the law, the bondage of man's tradition. They were being set free from this, just like the caterpillar breaking out of the cocoon, breaking out of the cocoon and flying forth without as a butterfly. These new believers had a freedom that they had never experienced under the law. They had a newness of life that they never knew. They never knew. They've been reborn. The metamorphosis has taken place. You remember these guys? You remember these apostles that they're talking about? You know the ones that when Jesus was being persecuted and taken to the cross, where were they? Hiding. They were out somewhere hiding. Oh, geez, they're going to get us. They're going to take us too. Only one went to the cross with Jesus, the apostle John. One denied him three times to his face. And the rest of them were running scared. A metamorphosis has taken place. Their lives have changed. Their lives have changed because the Holy Spirit has come upon their lives. The Holy Spirit came upon their lives with power, and that made the difference in everything. The Holy Spirit was the one that freed them, that freed them into this new life that they were now given, and they were experiencing this new life, and they were going, wow. I'm sure that when they saw people heal, 
when they saw unclean spirits being cast out, I'm sure when they saw that, they themselves were amazed. They're like, whoa, did you see what just happened? I mean, I'm sure they were really, they were really amazed. They didn't, couldn't believe that's what's happening. What a great place to be. But everything that was happening here made the religious leaders insanely jealous, insanely mad, and they were filled with indignation. I see the same indignation today with the religious community. I see that. Priests and pastors alike look down their head, they look down their noses at these various movements of God because they're threatened. They're threatened because these various movements people are attending and people are learning about God. They're becoming stronger and they're being freed and they're no longer under the control of a man. They're no longer in control of a church that wants to control every move they make. They're under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit makes you free. You are free in Him. And on this day that we celebrate freedom, it's not the 4th of July, but we celebrate those that gave their lives for freedom. We need to remember that we are free in Christ. And there's a freedom that money can't buy. There's a freedom that nothing can give. It's a freedom that only comes by worshiping and loving and accepting a true and living God. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he makes us free by believing in him. They look down, these these religious organizations look down, and they rail at these people. They rail at these new movements of the Spirit. They say, how can this be? You're not trained. You didn't go to seminary. You don't have degrees. You don't have this. You don't have that. And they look their nose down on there. But the Spirit of God continues to move. You can't stop the Spirit of God. You cannot hold it back. Yeah, thank God for that is right. You can't stop the Spirit of God. Spirit's going to move. It's going to do what it just came here to do. God's working mightily in the ministries, and people are being saved. People are becoming into a deeper and better relationship with Him. People are studying the Word of God, and they're becoming more powers being released in their lives. We've seen healings in this church. We've seen people's lives change here in this church only by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the difference, people being set free. The Word of God is being released, and there's a great unity And people are united. Different people from all different parts of life are united in one, Jesus Christ. We share a common blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's deeper and thicker than any blood you could have with any relative or any brother or sister. It's thicker and deeper than that. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. But these religious communities are angered and are filled with indignation. You know, we can always expect this from the religious establishment. And I've said before, I don't believe it's a competition. I don't believe I'm in competition with anybody. I thought we were all here to do the same thing, preach the Word of God and celebrate Jesus Christ. I thought that's why we were here. I don't feel I'm in competition with anyone. I don't look for status. I don't look for numbers. I look for God. I look for Jesus Christ to be glorified. I look for changed lives because we're following the one true living God. I look for that. That's the fruit that I'm looking for. Instead, we're chomping at each other and there's discord. There's disharmony. No, we're told instead of walking in disharmony, we're told to walk worthy, keeping the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6, the Apostle Paul said this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling, which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. There should be unity in the church, the entire church. Not unity in any specific church, but as an entire group, the bride of Christ, there should be unity. We should share a unity, but we don't. 
We shouldn't think of ourselves as better. We have a better thing than you do. We have a better plan than you do. We should bear each other in love, seeking with gentleness and lowliness, long-suffering, keeping the unity. We can accept, we can love, and we can feel free to fellowship anyone from any denomination or anywhere who claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. On that common basis, we can fellowship with that person, and Christ can be glorified. But these religious leaders that we're talking about today, this ruling body, these Sadducees, they were so angry at the apostles that they arrested them. This time, they arrested all of them, not just Peter and John, all of them. Look in verse 18. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them into a common prison. This time, the apostles were locked up in a common prison instead of the jail within the temple, like back in Acts 4.3. This time, it was a common prison. And I believe that this was a strategic move. This was a strategic move on the part of the ruling uh, leaders. They did this because they tried to scare the apostles by putting them into this place. I mean, after all, this was a Rikers Island. This wasn't a county jail or your local federal jail. This was like a real tough place where common criminals were. I'm sure that this was not a nice place. You know, there's nothing mentioned here of what happened in the jail. There's nothing mentioned at all about what happened when the apostles there. But you've got to think someone got saved. I mean, after all, they had a captive audience. No pun. You got to think someone was saved. You got to think something happened there, right? But it doesn't say. But they weren't there long. Maybe that's why nothing happened. They weren't there that long because the Lord had other plans for these guys. In verse 19, it says, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. This was easy for God to arrange. In Hebrews 1, 14, we hear that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. God sends one of his angels there to minister to these apostles. Opening locked doors, nothing for God. Nothing for God. When a door slams, God can open it. God opens doors that no man can open. He closes doors that no man can shut. We just got to let him do it. We got to let him do those in our lives. We have been held prisoners We are prisoners in our bondage. We are prisoners in the bondage of sins. Our sinful lives have kept us in prisons and have made us captive. But we've been set free by the power of Jesus Christ. We have been freed from sin, free from the bondage that's enslaved us, just like these apostles. We have been set free. The chains have been taken off, and we are no longer held captive. But there was a purpose to the freedom of these apostles. There was a purpose. They were set free with a purpose. And basically, if you don't, haven't gathered it yet, that's the title of today's message. Freedom with a purpose. Freedom with a purpose. These apostles were given a command. They were told to do something. They were set free, and they were told to do something. Look at verse 20. It says, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. The Lord freed them from themselves. After he freed them, the angel didn't say, Now get out of Jerusalem and run for the hills. Go someplace and hide. Get out. Run for your lives. They didn't say that. Instead, he said, go back to the butcher shop. Go back into the crowd. Go back where you got arrested. Go back and do these things. He says, don't run away. The Lord tells the apostles that I want you to tell everybody about this Christian life. I want you to tell everybody about the new life that you have in Christ. You are The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people. 
and continues on even today through the writings in Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescued us.